President Biden signed a second executive order aimed at safeguarding abortion access. This executive order builds on the first one I signed last month that created this task force in the first place. And that also will help safeguard access to health care, including the right to choose and contraception. The president issued the executive order yesterday during the first meeting of the task force created after his first reproductive health order last month. So what does this new executive order do exactly? Joining us now is Lee Hasselbacker, director of the University of Chicago Center for Interdisciplinary Inquiry and Innovation in Sexual and Reproductive Reproductive Health. The center is also known as CI3. Welcome back to Reset, Lee. Hi, thank you. So first, what prompted this second executive order? You know, I can't say for sure, but I do know the order and the president yesterday talked about receiving ongoing reports about denials and delays of care, mm-hmm. so ranging from the denial of medications used by people with conditions like arthritis and lupus that can also affect or end a pregnancy. The order also cited reports, which we've seen in news and heard from providers, about delays in emergency care where people are experiencing pregnancy complications or miscarriage. Uh, for instance, doctors not knowing the law and fearing legal reprisal or refusing to provide treatment or delaying care to the point where patients are, are very sick. Um, and in research we've done around treatment for miscarriage care in, in religious hospitals, we've seen very similar challenges arise when doctors are uncertain about the care they can provide and therefore sort of overcorrect or hesitate to provide care. Yeah. So I think the, the order has been in response to some of those reports and even just also the massive shift in geographic access to care. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the reality that many people are leaving their home to seek care elsewhere and and, and responding to the interstate travel needs. Yeah. And, and you were on reset last month when the president signed his first executive order. Uh, that one ensured protected access to medication, abortion, and contraception, and protection from privacy violations. How is this second executive order different? Uh, wh- what are the main takeaways? Yeah, this order I mean, certainly references the need for continued action on the issues that were um, cited in the first order. But I think the difference here is there's really an effort to point out these additional areas where the federal government can possibly take action in response to this ongoing confusion about the legal frameworks. Um, in this case, you know, trying to marshal resources to help providers navigate the, the complexity they're facing um, in both restrictive and non-restrictive states, I should say. I think there's just a lot of confusion about what, what is permissible. And um, I think this order is trying to address, you know, setting some established minimum protections for patients based on federal laws. So, um, you know, they cite things like the Antala Act, which is, you know, the law requiring emergency care. Um, they're instructing pharmacies that they have to dispense drugs, you know, without mm-hmm. any discrimination. Um, things like also citing the need to improve access to reproductive health care through Medicaid, so for patients traveling across the borders. Um, so I think they're trying to address some of these particular questions and establish um, some baseline um, protections for patients. In addition to also, the, I should say, the order also directs um, data collection. So yeah. asking NIH and CDC to um, improve their data collection around what's really going on. And this order does seem to go a few steps further than the relatively broad and somewhat ambiguous one from last month. What's your reaction to what you've learned so far? Yeah, I think for, for me, and based on our research and background, the interesting piece is around the Medicaid expansion. So, um, you know, in, in addition to kind of clarifying the obligations, they do seem to be suggesting pathways for non-restrictive states most likely to ask for waivers in their Medicaid program so that federal funds might be able to be used to reimburse care for those patients who are traveling, mm-hmm. you know, to a non-restrictive state from a home state where maybe they do have Medicaid coverage and might be seeking care 
currently right now only within the exceptions that are allowed by the Hyde Amendment, so for rape or incest or mm-hmm. um, threats to the life of the pregnant person. But I think there's an effort here to um, support those patients in particular and, and create pathways for states to do that as well. Yeah. Well, 17 states have banned or, or mostly banned abortion right now. What does this new executive order change, if anything, when it comes to access specifically for folks in those states? Yeah, and I think the, the order itself doesn't doesn't change a lot right now. It still is sort of um, instructing, you know, the HHS and other departments to look at what they can provide and care they can provide, and setting up, you know, um, pathways for providers to be educated. But you know, coming back again to this Medicaid piece, I think there really is an important um, aspect there. We've been working with um, the Chicago Abortion Funds. Uh, Department of Research, which is their internal research team, um, and they've been telling us that you know 47% of their grantees in the last year have had um, Medicaid from outside of Illinois, so that they've traveled to Illinois for abortion care and received financial assistance because they couldn't afford it. And most of these are coming from you know the nearby states. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know I think what could really what could change care is if, if this Medicaid. Um, if states were allowed to apply for waivers so they could support these patients. But then, obviously, if the Hyde Amendment itself were removed, I think that would be an, um, yeah. allow for an incredible increase in support. Well, the order also addresses guidance for pharmacies, specifically reminding the 60,000 or so pharmacies in the U.S. of their obligations. Uh, walk us through that. Why was this important to clarify? I think we were hearing lots of reports about pharmacists who were, you know, dispensing drugs that they've dispensed all the time for conditions like like lupus, like arthritis, where the medications could also be used in a pregnancy or to treat a miscarriage. And there was, um, I I think, just a chilling effect on those pharmacists. They were afraid, you know, if I dispense this drug now in a state that bans abortion and it ends up affecting a pregnancy or even a future pregnancy, am I going to be at risk for some kind of legal consequence? So I think there was just this immediate um, desire to reduce any risk and refuse to even dispense these drugs, again, even to patients who are not pregnant, um, based upon a fear that they they could affect a future pregnancy. So I think what the order is trying to do is um, reorient people to some basic protections that are in the law for dispensing medication and and doing so without um, discriminating against someone based on a pregnancy or future pregnancy. Do you see anything missing from this order? Anything that's in the president's power that he could do on this front? Yeah, I think as many have acknowledged, the president is pretty limited in what they can do um, with an executive action. And a lot of this does call for legislative action, repealing the Hyde Amendment or codifying protections of Roe. I mean, I think many have called for a declaration of a public health emergency as one way to possibly free up resources or increase the ability to respond in more creative ways. Um, And I think, you know, I think it's important that the president does continue to respond in these ways, like issuing another order if it's needed um, as data and reports come in about how access has been disrupted. Um, and, you know, specifically hearing from people, providers and patients who are navigating this, this confusing landscape. That's Lee Hasselbacker from CI3 at the University of Chicago. Lee, thanks for breaking that down for us. Sure. You're welcome. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.